so first let's let's look at my definition of overthinking overthinking means you no longer trust your innate talent and training and if you did trust your innate talent and training you would just totally rely on that and then go execute the jump when you begin to overthink it means that you've abandoned how many years of training and how much experience and knowledge you have about pole vaulting and now you're just trying to rely on thinking to get it done which sabotages the bodies. I know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? it? Is, yeah, I never thought of it like that either. But that's exactly what's going on. Robert freaking Andrews. Man, talking to Robert Andrews is like having a glass of fresh water on a hot day. <laughs> I love the guy. And I, and I felt so refreshed after this conversation. Ooh, before I forget, we have our very first sponsor on the show. Michael Janetta has been a great friend and a huge supporter of all the work I have done for many, many, many years from Team Hoot to writing a book, now mental health and supporting this podcast. Man, he's just, he's just an overall great person and he is literally the flame that lights other people's wicks. It's so fun just hearing about all the things he's doing behind the scenes. And I'm absolutely honored to call him a friend and that he wanted to support this podcast. So, Mike, you're the best, and thank you. This is pretty cool to have you as the first sponsor. In this podcast with Robert Andrews, we discuss the requirements of a mental healthy person. It's a question that I've been pondering for a long time, and we dove deep into that. What, what do we need to be a mentally healthy person? What do mentally healthy people have in common? And what are the steps to get there? We also answered questions submitted by pole vaulters on my Team Hoot channel and how Robert would navigate and help these pole vaulters through mental health issues that they might be having, mental health challenges that they might be having in the sport. So if you do any kind of sports, this one's for you. Even if you're not in sports, any type of performance that you do in life, whether it's parenting or even your work, you're gonna like this podcast a whole bunch. Robert Andrews is a wizard in the sports and mental health space. He has worked with professional sports teams, to Olympians, to even Simone Biles. He works with clients at all levels at the Institute of Sports Performance in Texas. And he wrote one of my favorite books on sports psychology called The Champion's Mental Edge. Ladies and germs, I am really excited to share with you this conversation I had with Robert Andrews. Confucius said we have two lives. And the second begins when we realize that we only have one. We're all given one whole life. And when we find and break the barriers that are preventing us from living fully, we have an audacious attempt to improve mental health. One Whole Life with Sean Francis. Working with different athletes in different sports, or is it relatively the same process for most of them? You know, it's different from let's say an NFL player covering a kickoff and having to be really amped up and almost on that edge of crazy out of control and a golfer who's got to drain a three foot, three foot putt to advance in a golf tournament. That's, that's a big energetic difference, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, but yet at the same time, they face the same kind of issues around belief in themselves and self-confidence and managing distractions and, overbearing parents and bad coaches and financial issues. You know, it's the same kind of stress and pressure push it pushes in. They just have to learn how to play with a different intensity. So I kind of, I might've told you this story before, but I had a guy, I was up in uh, Calgary, Canada, walking, hiking up in the mountains to a frozen waterfall in February 
And a guy that was uh, head of Australian Special Forces was walking with us in, on this hike. And he had sat in on my presentations with this gymnastics group. And all of a sudden, he just stops in the middle of this trail. And he says, you know, Robert, peak performance is peak performance. It doesn't matter what we're doing. What you're teaching us can help us with whatever it is we're doing. And so I've, I've worked with Special Forces. <clears throat> I've worked with golfers. I've worked with surgeons, brain surgeons, cardiovascular surgeons cello players, harp players, ballet, you know, it doesn't matter. So I just, I go at it the same way, Sean, to answer your question. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to ask because I think just through my journey to this whole thing, it, it hit me that just mental health is mental health, right? Like the skills mm -hmm. I was learning when I was, you know, had that break and had to go to the mental health hospital was uh -huh. stuff that I've used in sports and was like, Wow, if I, if I just and I and I've said this a million times, I would have just known that stuff sooner. I think every aspect of yeah, my life. I know, would have been I know, better. I know. And and you know, you think about it. Why is it that if I'm helping someone become a better pole vaulter or a better gymnast, guess what? Their grades go up. Yeah. Public speaking goes up. They interview with coaches better. They handle conflict better. They choose better friends. It's pervasive. It works its way out into the whole system. So is that how you always start with your clients then as you go, all right, so what are what are these like basic fundamentals of all these things? And do you start there or do you start with their problem or, or what's what's your process or different totally with every that walks in. in the door? You know, okay. it's uh typically I hear their story. You know, how long have you been in your sport? Why did you pick that sport? Uh when did it stop being fun? You know, those are typical questions I ask going in because usually they start seeking out someone like me because they're struggling. Some just want to get better. Some want a competitive edge over everybody else. But the large percentage of the time is because they're struggling. I, I, like I had two calls this morning from parents. One was a college baseball player that's just struggling. And the other was an athlete that tore their ACL. So I kind of hear their story. What happened? And then if it's performance related, we do a performance evaluation that just looks at what happens when things start going south and what are the things that happen in a competition? Like with pole vaulters, it's always going up bigger poles, <laughs> the feeling of my hands on the poles, yeah. um, the bar going up to a certain height that in their brain starts triggering things or the wind or, you know, moving from a bungee to a real pole. You know, we look at what the triggers are yeah. and then how do they begin to react to that mentally, emotionally, physiologically, and through their behavior. So we do an assessment that way. And then I have a whole bag of tricks and toolbox that I pull from to help that specific athlete based upon what their individual needs are. So you're essentially working just like a detective at that point, right? You are. I'm gonna that's hear what's what... fun about it. Yeah, yeah that's what's right. fun about it. So I used to be in the oil and gas business and I did petroleum land management. Now I had to go out and, and do the title history on land so that oil companies could lease up all the mineral rights to drill on that property. I use the same skills, you know, that I had to go, I had to read a, a will from 1865 and find out who the descendants were and track that. <laughs> I use the same skill set with an athlete. We start here and we go back or we start there and we move forward yeah. and look at where they lose energy. You and I have talked about that before, how yep. performance is always about energy. So it's really fun and exciting to, to be that detective and find out, where did it, where did the change happen? Where did they get thrown off course and then, and get them back on track again? So what is, what is on track? I sent you this question and I, and I know you wrote a list down for me, but it was uh, essentially, what do you see as the fundamentals of mental health 
and oh my goodness. a mentally what a healthy person. <laughs> and what do they need to achieve that? You know, um, like in, in pole vault, I was told, and I, I always lump everything back to pole vault because that's my audience, right? But they were, everyone was always telling me, you'll, you'll never solve it. It's too complicated. It's this massive sport. And for some reason, I couldn't believe that, you know, there, there had to be something like a fundamental root. And I got to the point where it's just energy transfer, right? You're creating energy and you're transferring energy. That's the simplest form. That's pole vault. Now we can start building off of that. And like you said, you have this bag of tools to help Uh individual athletes do that. But I'm struggling getting to the bottom of mental health in that aspect. And you've been in this longer, so I was hoping you'd have some insight for me. Well, it's it's mostly from walking my own path. You know, Uh, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family and, uh, you know, a lot of just crazy stuff. And I learned how to adapt to that in ways that later on in life didn't serve me. So I'm, I remember just kind of waking up one day, like this ain't working, you know, what? And I wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't a bad person. It's just, I wasn't authentic, you know? And I, and I think that's of all the things I do with athletes, that's what I strive to help them figure out is who are you authentically? You know, stop people pleasing, stop being a perfectionist, stop being a control freak, start acting like, stop acting like everything's okay. Who are you? If you, if you pull all that out of the way, who are you in your essence, you know, living authentically. And so that was my mission is to find out you know, who I was authentically. Cause I found that I was one person with my old friends and one person with my friends at work and a different person at the gym and a different person. And it was exhausting to like be a chameleon to change in all those different environments. Now, given I was in my early twenties when I started figuring this out, right. which is what the twenties are about. They're called the wandering. <laughs> we, yeah. we wander in and out of friendships and relationships and jobs, trying to figure out who we are and we bump into things and, and learn through that process. So I went on that journey of, you know, to where I could show up authentically everywhere I go. And now I do that. You know, I'm that, I'm that what you see is what you get guy. And I take pride in that because I've worked hard to accomplish that. So the top of my list is authenticity, you know, showing up 100% congruent, no matter what you're facing, you stay true to yourself. How do you, how do you, how did you get there? Because I I'm on that same, I was on that same journey too. I still feel like I am Mm-hmm. Like uh, letting characters go. I, I, I've looked at it like I'm just playing a character when I go to the gym sometimes. Or, well, I'm Sean Francis, the pole vault vlog guy. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I, if you've been playing a character for so long, how do you how do you know what version of you is, isn't is a character? And what That's a really think? good question because so much of it just becomes unconscious. Right. You know, like in my situation, I, I grew up that if things weren't, done correctly or in their place or right, bad things happen. So I developed what's called an organizer part of my personality, which was about making sure things were right. And under stress, it became about perfectionism and control. Well, guess who was exhausted from that? And so I started, I started really taking a look at that and had some, I have some wonderful friends and support system that provided resources to me. And there's a personality profile that I've used for the last 16 years, it's called the core multidimensional awareness profile or core map. And it's different from all other, from the Berkman and the Myers-Briggs, it's different from all those because it reveals what conditioning is. And conditioning is the influence of our parents, our family, our culture, coaches, church, whoever, life experiences, they push in on us and they either move us towards our authentic self or away from our authentic self, which is called our conditioned self. I was living big time in my conditioned self. 
and it wasn't working for me. So I did this profile and it was like, wow, it was just so revealing to me. And then I, I set out on this mission to, to live authentically and congruently. And I'm, I'm grateful that I did it because it was a life changer. And I've, I, I did it with a college basketball player yesterday and he walked out just kind of blown away because all of his energy was going into making sure things are right and pleasing people. Yeah. That conditioning stuff's like absolutely fascinating when you start paying attention and, and asking, <laughs> is it what, what's, what do I have control of and what do I not? Right. And huh? it, so was there like really big ones for you or when you're talking to clients, is there like a common theme with, um, conditioning that you, or, or is it just a, as soon as people become aware of it, then it starts the road to going, Oh, I can challenge that thought or challenge that. Condition. Well, it's worse than different sports. You know, there's some sports mm. that promote ask the, between the coach, athlete, coach, parent, asking questions, feeling empowered, deciding what your own training plan might be. And there's other coaches, there's other sports where the athlete is conditioned to be silent. Don't ask questions. Be You know, you have to be respectful and asking questions is considered being disrespectful, you know? And so yeah. you, you get kicked out of practice or you get scratched from an event or things like that. So it, it's, it varies from sport to sport, but to me, it's, you start small and then work big. Okay. Like I, I had an athlete that I was working with who's, uh, uh, recently they asked their coach a question in a very respectful tone. Right. Yeah. And the coach says, if you can ask me again in a real condescending way. And the athlete went, no, I asked you respectfully the first time. And I was so proud of them for saying that, yeah. that they didn't go, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. And, and, and get, and because a, a coach that talks to a kid like that is that's conditioning. Right. You're below me. I have all the power and it's also gaslighting you know, that what I was respectful, you know, and so teaching them how to have their voice. You know, I had another athlete whose coach called in the lazy group and she said, it makes me so mad. And, and we're not the lazy group. And through what she learned with me, she held her group accountable and they started finishing sets on time and finishing assignments and all this. He came and goes, Oh, it's my lazy group. And she goes, Coach, we're not the lazy group. And as, as long as you continue to see us that way, that's going to be your perception of us. And he goes, oh, well, you can just go home now and kicked her out of practice. And, I, and I'm talking to her after this happened and she was upset. And I go, how did it feel to say that? She said, it felt really good. I felt empowered. And I said, then it's your coach's problem now. It's not yours. And then I, and she goes, and now that I think about it, he doesn't call us the lazy group anymore. Hmm. So those are just real simple examples of how empowering it can be for a young athlete to have their voice in a respectful way, you know, not being a jerk, yeah. you know, not being a tyrant, but just respectfully saying, treat me differently, you know, treat me like with dignity, treat me with respect. And there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, not at all. So, so do, you, do you follow the, an emotion um, to try and find that authenticity or do you follow, um, the facts, you know, with, if we were looking well, at cognitive behavioral therapy or a combination of both, or what, is there a, is there a North star that people can kind of look at? In well, it's it? funny you say that because years ago, my dad passed away in 1986 and he was a chiropractor and he got too sick to adjust me. So he sent me to one of his friends 
uh, and this probably makes me, it will make me emotional to think about this, but after my dad's funeral, my neck was hurting, you know, I was holding on to all this emotions. So I go see this chiropractor and he says, uh, you know, let's go, let's sit down and talk, you know? So we sit in his office. He goes, how are you doing? You know? And I, I started talking about it and, you know, how are you doing with the loss of your dad? And I started crying and the, but they were happy tears. Yeah. And I said, he goes, well, what, what are you feeling right now? I said, I'm just feeling proud of my dad and his life. He helped so many people. And well, what just happened to cause it? And he said, I said, well, you ask him about my father. And he goes, congratulations. You just had a happy tear. And I said, well, I have those all the time. And he said, it's when your heart and your soul connect and it's telling you do more of that, move that direction. So that was in 86 for a year and a half. I kept a journal every time I had a happy tear, what just happened to cause it? What am I feeling? And then I did more of that. And that accelerated this process to authenticity. And I have it happen all the time in my sessions where an athlete can come in crying tears of shame or embarrassment or fear or despair or hopelessness. And at some point in their work, I can tell that those tears change. And I'll say, what are you feeling right now? They go, well, I feel happy. Yeah. Well, what just happened to cause it? Well, I, I've learned that I don't have to beat myself up anymore, that, that being kind to myself really helps and it makes a difference. What are you feeling? I feel proud. I feel excited. Oh, we'll go do more of that. And so we do follow emotions, Sean, and that's a big part of it because that, that emotion is energy. It's passion and it's telling us, you know, do more of this, move this direction. So certainly we take a look at that. So you can, it's almost making me tear up because I've had that experience multiple times too. You know, um, the, the most profound one was when I was in that mental health hospital and uh, I was talking about my dad and, and some things, um, yeah. characteristics he kind of gave me into sports that makes you really good, but maybe not happy while you're doing it right. And then realizing he had the same traits and it was, that's where, that's what hit me. It was like, oh, he, he wasn't doing this on purpose to hurt me. He thought it was, you know, and it was this generational trauma kind of being passed on and that awareness yeah. was like just a release of oh i can let this go this isn't helping either of us right now but it's we're just following this pattern we've been taught for who knows how long i don't even know powerful moment isn't it very powerful moment and it felt good and i just remember laughing and crying at the, <laughs> at the same time in front of this therapist and not caring at all just it, it felt that good um, I had a, yeah. If I can interject something of here, when, when my father did pass away, I got assigned the task of taking his suit to the funeral home, right? Mm -hmm. And I gave him the suit. I said, well, can I see him? And they kind of looked at me like, well, sure enough, they went and got him somewhat ready. And I'm standing there looking at my father and I had this flash of how am I like my father that I'm setting myself up to die at a young age? And what is it about my father that I want to keep and take with me to where I can live a long life? And And I gave him back a lot of those things that you just talked about that weren't working, but I, I kept his love of the outdoors and the water and sailing in the mountains and animals and music and cooking. And you know, I kept all those and helping people and being of service. So I kept all that. And that was another one of those like marker milestone moments in my life where it was like, I'm in an important crossroad here. Yeah. It sounds like you had the same experience. Yeah. It's wild. And it was the, it was also like a moment for me when I was like, I think I just need more of this instead of for up until that point, it was a lot of medication and, and things. And I always just felt like it wasn't for for me personally, and I can't, I'm not anti-medication by any stretch of the imagination. But for, for me, it was like, I think 20 years of trying to do meds and it not working wasn't, wasn't 
helping me. I think this, I need to go into the the obstacles, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. and figure out what behaviors or thought patterns or or things I'm doing in my life that are, are being unhelpful. And, mm-hmm. and so it's been hard, though, because up until that point, I was told uh, or conditioned, I guess you could say, if we're on that track, that depression is bad and sadness is bad and anger and all these emotions are bad. And by challenging that, that's it's been a kind of an uphill struggle for my personal journey. You know, when you're hearing that ever since you're 10 years old and you go, yeah. oh, depression's a symptom of something not going right in my life right now. Maybe I should go into it instead of running away from it. And it's been life changing. Did you find that with your depression, when you started integrating that authentic Sean, did it help lift your depression somewhat? For sure. And yeah, uh, a lot like I could drop the character it felt like I wasn't doing a separate job and not getting paid for it anymore <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh like right now though the toughest part is boundaries you know I've been really going hard and you know especially with the camps and things coming up you go oh what have I been allowing or what extra tasks have I been doing by not setting good boundaries and, and mm-hmm. carrying other people's you know, weight or doing something that doesn't help me grow. And, and I guess the only reason I'm, I'm keep bringing this up is because emotions have been really hard for me to wrap my head around as like picking a North star. Um, but it seems like when I look at growth, um, that, that seems to be a good North star for me, whether, cause then even unhappy tears can be, Oh, can I grow from those? And then it turns into like those happy tears down the road. I don't know if that's making any sense, but yeah, am I, I growing I, from this experience, I guess? Well, I've, I've heard years ago that emotion is energy in motion. Okay. When we stop that natural flow of emotion, then we begin to hold on to that emotion and our body can only hold so much emotion. And that sets the stage for, you know, a tight neck or a shoulder problems, or eventually it can, it can lead to illness. And that's what Chinese medicine is all about. That's what acupuncture is all about is getting the energy channels open and flowing again. And, and I think it's, I think it's appropriate to create opportunities to have your emotions. You know, whenever I need a good cry, there's one movie that I put on and I just sit upstairs (laughs) in our living area and I empty it all out. And then the next day it's like, I have so much energy huh because i got things moving again you know what's your, what's your movie i'm just curious uh, taking chance with kevin bacon have you ever seen it i haven't i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it now though. it is a uh milita- marine officer who was stationed over in iraq now he's back in the states and at night he sits and looks at the names of deceased soldiers that are coming back to the united states to be processed through Dover, you know, where they get them ready for funerals and then they transport them. And he notices a kid from his hometown and he goes and offers to his name is chance to take chance home, taking chance. Mm. And he escorts his body home. And it is just a beautiful tribute to our military, to our fallen heroes, his journey. It's, it's, it's an absolutely beautiful movie. Yeah. But very, very intense. And, And it, for some reason I come from a, I mean, my military family goes back to World War II, World War One, Civil War, all the way back to Revolutionary War. So I think it's touching something very, very deep in me. But it, boy, it gets me going every time I watch it. <laughs> I, I mine, it's a, it's a wonderful life, and yeah. it's been like that forever. <laughs> yeah, I could put that every Christmas. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen it a million times. I can, I can 
talk through the entire movie. I can do word for word what everybody's doing. My wife can now too because we've been watching it. For... That's great. Yeah, yeah. but good man, good that one. closing scene every every year, just pff, waterworks. Around the around the Christmas tree and all that. Yeah, well, my story surrounding that was, uh, you know, it's it's kind of dark, but I remember telling my parents when I was like nine or ten that I just I just didn't want to live anymore. I wanted to die. They're like, how how could you, you know? And you know, thinking back now, it kind of breaks my. It actually really breaks my heart because a kid telling that to their parents, like I would imagine, as empathetic as I can be, what that would be like to hear. And then, uh, so my mom broke down. She started to cry, and my dad goes, "Don't ever say that to you." You know, trying to protect her and trying to protect me at the same time. And uh, then I go, "Then I wish I was never born." And then the next day, my dad. God, it's a wonderful life. And it was like, you should watch this movie. And so he gave me that movie after that. Just bawled my eyes out because I was like, I'm I'm Jimmy Stewart. You know? <laughs> that is brilliant though. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. You know what, what comes up for me, Sean, is you're a very sensitive guy, right? You're right, yeah. And, and I never thought always, I was. Yeah. <laughs> you've probably always been that way. Right. And maybe you were so sensitive that the, what you were feeling was just too much for a nine or ten year old. Yeah, and and the more I think about my parents, I don't know if they knew how to mm-hmm. navigate that sensitivity, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm, I'm. It's funny you brought that up because I've been meditating on that for the last couple months too. Like, I, cause I've always thought I wasn't sensitive. That's what I've been, and I think I was just fighting it for so long, yeah, and that was yeah. where a lot of that depression probably came from. The depression because you weren't honoring that authentic part of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, by getting into video and storytelling and telling other people's stories and allowing me to tell these stories that maybe other people don't or might not connect with, it allows me to just get it out or have these conversations. It's like, oh, this this is the stuff I want to talk about. I want to go deep into the yeah. weeds. <laughs> you know? And that's why I always look forward to my time with you because we get real on, the, on these yeah. podcasts. It's awesome. I'm already feeling energized. I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, me too. To see my, <laughs> I look to see forward my to athletes this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be humming and buzzing. Yeah, it, I feel every time I talk to you, it's it's pure authenticity. It feels like like I don't have to put on a show or you know whatever. And then I I just have to remember I don't have to do that ever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, so, and that's 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 been the challenge. You know. Um, yeah. 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 No, I appreciate you, man. This is great. I appreciate you, Sean. Big time. Yeah. I totally forgot we started with the list and then we went off, man. So authenticity was the first. And then I put yeah. mindfulness or self-awareness, you know, being able to strategically observe yourself without judgment. Oh, wow. I notice I'm getting really angry right now. Or I notice I want to say something, but I'm not. Or I notice I'm making this about me or I'm talking over someone or whatever that might be to just be able to observe yourself in the moment. What's going on with you mentally, emotionally, physiologically, your behavior, and just be okay with that. And if you need to correct it, correct it, but not getting all reactive about it. So mindfulness was one. And you, then I think do you do you find mindfulness in sports a lot where people are focused on the product instead of the process? And it, can that become a huge problem that you're running? Yeah, because the mind and body need to be in the same place, right? right. And if you're too focused on the outcome, the height, <clears throat> the score, the placement, the time then your mind's already out there at the, at the end of the meet or the end of the, the finish line or touching the wall as a swimmer. 
So we always talk about keeping their mind and body in the same place. Is there, do you know if there's like a correlation between how far you think into the future by how, is it, is that, I don't know if it works that way, but if you're getting farther away from yourself or is it just anytime you're not in line and well, you see that a lot, like, and you see it, I work with a lot of gymnasts and let's say I have a, a gymnast who it happens a lot in men, men with men and pommel horse. Okay. Okay. They'll finish the, the most critical parts of the routine and then they'll, they'll go, Oh, I'm done. And they'll finish They'll, they'll finish in their mind, but their hand will slip five seconds from being, being done with their routine. Wow. <laughs> so it's that critical. It can yeah. be that laser clear that, or, uh, uh, you see it with uh, a female gymnast that might she she rocks or tumbling passes or a bar routine and then the same thing god i'm gonna hit this and then they over rotate and fall or miss a uh fall the miss a dismount or a release skill or something like that so it's it's about learning how to intentionally keep your mind in the present yeah because one little slip the mind gets out there just a little bit too much just a few seconds ahead and at that, I mean, bar placement, you think about that, you know, your hand has to be right here or here, or you have to catch, you have to do a skill where you let go of the bar and do a flip and catch, you know, that's critical. Yeah. And I, I, I don't hear that that much with pole vaulters who say, oh, I cleared the height, you know, you know, pretty quickly if you're going to clear it or not. <laughs> so I don't hear it as much. I, w I was thinking in terms of, um, so in, in elite athletes or track and field, they have that four-year Olympic window. If they're so focused on that window, do they lose like things um, like in the in the present moment, or, or or do you find maybe that people their ability to go, all right, I'm pointing in the right direction. That's where I'm going, and it allows them to maybe be here more. Because I've I've I have some friends who get as they get closer, stress starts to freak out because it's becoming more real. The the mm -hmm. um, um, intensity is higher, you know, the stakes are higher. Mm -hmm. And then I hate to call it choke, but they, they're just not able to stay in that, you know, pocket that they were in for the last three years. So that last year, just things, things don't go nearly as well. Yeah. I always say the year after the Olympics is the recovery year. Right. You know, you're you're <laughs> yeah. just kind of coming back up for air training, but not with it's the same intensity. And then you start gearing back up again. And then the closer you get to the let's say nationals, Olympic trials, Olympics, you've got to start bringing it in and, and dialing down interference. You know, I'll tell athletes stop doing interviews if they're at that, that level of visibility. Um, but you do have to, um, that's when a lot of the what if thinking starts creeping in. Mm -hmm. What if I don't make it? What if I spent the last 12 years and it's, it's all for nothing. And so like I had a gymnast who had a really good, uh, regional meets qualified for nationals. And her mother said her last event was beam. <clears throat> and she said she was on the beam and she heard my voice say, no, what if thinking. And I, and she nailed the routine, had a great, wonderful regionals. I think she's going to score really high at nationals, but I just thought that was pretty cool that she had that in her head and her, that no, what if thinking, which meant finish this. Yeah. Be in the present, finish this. Um, so for that last year of the Olympics, it's, it is about being present, but it's also about recognizing how you start losing that energy. Do you start comparing yourself to someone else who looks like maybe they're jumping a little higher than you or running a little bit faster than you, or, 
do you um, allow your your emotions to get the best of you, or do you uh, overtrain or undertrain? Just being mindful of all of those things that last year is critical. Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating because you we're touching on things I've had questions about for a while. Uh, it's, it's it's like there's there's a it seems like there's a little bit of a gift to worry, you know, um, where you go, okay, well, if this could happen, then right now I should plan accordingly, but you're still back in the present moment. But at the same time, if you have too much worry or concern, then you're not doing anything. Like there's a, there's a great quote. I, I have it written on my wall over here, but it was like, worry is a complete waste of time. It just leaves you busy doing nothing. <laughs> you know? But uh, without it, maybe you wouldn't have the, thought process to start your training, you know, nine months before, so you can peak at the right time kind of a situation too. So um, I guess my question to you is, when do you find it appropriate to go into the future so you can, you know, maybe be more um, perfect, not professional, but more um, in tune in the present that can help you out a little bit more? (laughs) How do you go into the future to be more in tune in the present? That's a really good question. Um, yeah. I might have to think about that okay. one. Uh, <laughs> we kind of we... you know, we're talking yeah. different dimensions here. Um, well, I know strategically you have to you have to plan your your training schedule to where you peak at the right time. Right. You know, because a lot of times athletes peak too early they burn themselves out they overtrain so you do have to take a look at the future to say strategically i'm going to push it hard until may 27th and then olympic trials are july or june 28th let's say or whatever and so i'm going to tailor down some um but that's more strategic i think yeah does that so would you say it would be strategic to say talk to you too you know so if somebody's having issues it might be happening in the present moment, or they might be doing some preventatory that go, all right, I know this big meet, I might get stressed out. I should go talk to Robert so I can get some skills and cues. To yeah. And that's already that what happened. if in my head too. That's already happened with gymnastics nationals. Right. You know, the, the women's just finished up Saturday with the groups that I work with. And I'm already starting to get the emails and the text messages. Can you get so-and-so on your schedule for two sessions between now and such and such? Gotcha. And uh, or so and so didn't make nationals, and they want to talk about it. They want to process it and learn from it, you know. Okay. And and the worst are the day before nationals. Hi, we were referred to you by so and so. My daughter's has nationals <laughs> tomorrow. Can you get her in? You right. know. And I was like, uh, I'm not a miracle worker. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I teach the parents and the athletes that there's a process and there's a there's a time to to think forward and. Uh, and, and they, they get into a good rhythm with that, you know? And so I'll, I'll be really busy between now and, you know, that weekend of May 16th when U S nationals are. And, uh, and then it picks up with the international and all that, that starts. And then the next door sport rolls around and then yeah. the next one. And, uh, you got sports seasons for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to keep. I could talk about yeah, mindfulness all day because uh, yeah, for know. some reason I'm fascinated by and all the brain works where it's located, what part is, what mm-hmm. part of the mind is you and what part, you know, maybe isn't exactly you. And that's where I spend most of my time meditating is going, can I, what happens if I'm silent? 
you know, what if that voice in my head stops for a while? Then, then what's going on? Then it just feels like it's pure awareness, and you go, "Huh, what, what's that? What's going on here?" <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. Uh, I have this. I found this new. Uh, it's this neck traction thing you lay on. It helps with the curve of your neck, you know, yeah. and it's so comfortable. But that's my meditation time. I'll set it for fifteen or twenty minutes, and I'll just lay on that thing on the floor. And it's so peaceful. Yeah. And so I did it before we got on this call today where it it's helping heal my body, but it's also a spiritual time for me of meditation. And I love it. I just got it three days ago and I love it because <laughs> awesome. it's helping me physically, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. Um, I also have on here tank fillers. I think we've talked about that, you know, doing yeah. meaningful activities away from your sport or school that help recharge your batteries. You know, I always say you, you plug your phone in at night, you know, what are you doing to recharge your batteries? And I'm not talking about naps. I'm not talking about sleep. I'm talking about meditation. I'm talking about uh, listening to music, you know, taking my dog to a dog park or for a walk. Uh, I'm off this Friday. My wife and I are going down to the Texas coach. There's a place where we have, three miles of uninterrupted beaches and we're going to just walk the dog and then go eat some good seafood. And that's our tank filling time. Yeah. Cooking, uh, sitting out by the fire pit in our backyard with some good friends and just talking, you know, those bring energy into my system. So people that have good, really good levels of mental health know how to fill their own tanks up. Yeah. I got to thank you for that in the last podcast because I've used that one extensively. I was, I was one of those guys who was just like, do more, do more, do more, do more. I still have that in me. But, um, when you, when you explained it just the way you did, where it's like, you plug your phone in at the end of the night too. And I'm like, I'm definitely not charging my batteries and this is going to help everything else I do too. That was, that was the one thing that helped me finally, you know, do things I like or give me the permission and see, Oh, there's a performance aspect to this. (laughs) And if whatever I do that, methodically and with intention and I put it in my schedule and I defend it, my phone, email, text messages ring off the wall for performance requests. Cause I, I think I'm broadcasting out this signal that, Hey, my tank's full, let's get to work. <laughs> and, and, uh, and the week and the times that I don't, it doesn't happen as much. That's so, interesting. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. And there's, I don't have any science around that. I just know that for, 20, 30 years, it's been that way. I can go rent a beach house down at the beach for four nights and come back and I'll get like 20, 25, 30 requests for appointments like that. Yeah. I, I And I would imagine you have the energy to have them at that point. But if maybe it happened the week before, you'd be like, oh man, I got 20 of these. <laughs> well, like we just moved my daughter two weekends ago. She's getting ready to graduate from college at Texas A&M. Oh, awesome. Uh, She's got accepted physical therapy school at the University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas. So instead of doing move on May 9th, graduate on May 13th, start graduate school May 17th, we moved her in early. We're we're apartments ready, electricity's ready, internet's ready. We don't have to do all that. But I tell you what, I got back last week and I was exhausted. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was fried. I was going to bed at 9, 9.30 at night. Guess what? Last week, my phone didn't ring very much. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I know what I need to do. And so my wife and I, we had a graduation party for this Saturday with a bunch of people. A lot of work went into that. So we said, this weekend coming up is going to be our tank filling weekend to recharge our batteries, 
kind of heal from all, all the work that we put into all that. Yeah. And, and we're doing that mindfully and with, in, with intention. That's awesome, man. <clears throat> I had the same thing happen. With, I had uh, three weeks of jury duty on this oh, really, in, really intense case, actually, that um, just going to trial, you, you, you were fried, you know, uh, yeah, by the end of it. Sure. And yeah, I should go look back, see what the sales were that week, you know, with Team Hoot and see if it changed at all. But it was almost a gift because uh, I don't remember a lot coming in. So I'd, I'd go to jury duty, come back, and then um, do books in the morning. And it was like three weeks of that. But then it seemed like it, I wasn't getting a lot of the calls, you know, that I was usually getting yeah. or, or messages. Well, I so. think there might be something to it, huh? Yeah, I'll have to look into yeah. that. I'll have to yeah. get, get a spreadsheet spread or something. that way for me for decades. <laughs> You know, if I want to, if I want to make my, it sounds crazy, but if I want to make my practice bigger, you would think market and be strategic and write articles. No, I go to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's counterintuitive to what everybody thinks, but it, it works for me. Yeah. Huh. Now I work hard, you know, I write articles and I work hard. I market myself and I brand myself, but I also take time to come up for air and, and just chill. It's yeah. You, you can't fill other people's buckets if yours is empty right right yeah exactly um also down have down here they're non-reactive meaning when something happens they're reflective they can go uh, introspective and and decide what they want to do about something uh, how they want to handle the situation um and i, I think if people were mindful and non-reactive the, the world would be a whole different place right now um, yeah because there's people are just so reactive this these days and i think some of that has to do with the pandemic and uh, we didn't, we didn't, we haven't prepared our society here in the United States to handle stress very well. No, that was two years of intense stress. And I think it's, it's taken a toll on people. You know, people are highly reactive. I was driving to the office yesterday and I turned left. The, the, the yellow arrow light was blinking. Uh, it was blinking yellow. It wasn't green. It said, you know, go through with caution. The guy comes over a hill and I didn't see him. So I went ahead. He accelerates, flips me off with both hands. And I, and I went, and I just went, peace. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just went on to the office. So I was like, golly, so highly reactive, you know? Yeah. Instead of slowing down and waving me through, you know, it was just people are just so reactive these days. So non-reactive is one. But that, that would start from the mindfulness, I would imagine, right? Yeah, big yeah. time. Yeah, big so, time. Because without that. Like how you can even notice that it's happening, I, right? Yeah. yeah. And okay. I think a large number of people don't don't notice when they do things. Oh yeah, I, they just re, they just react and they don't they don't bother to go. Why am I so charged about this? Or uh, you know, why am I hang, hiding out in my my bedroom for two days? Or why did I just drink two bottles of wine? Or why did I just yell at my dog? Or you know, whatever it is, people aren't they don't stop and ask that question. You know, what's really going on here? Well, it's, fa it's fascinating. I was just talking to my wife about this. Um, from this, we talk about mental health a lot just because of what I'm doing with these. But uh, how would somebody even know they're in an unhealthy family environment if they don't know what a healthy environment looks like? You know, and I, do you feel like that might happen with people and their thoughts and their behaviors? Because if, if no one ever tells them or challenges them or if they don't have a reason to even look inwards then they're just going to keep doing the same thing over and expect that to be normal and everyone else to be batshit crazy <laughs> you know? well I, I think um you know one of my favorite words or terms is resilience and, and if a person has resilience they know that what they're experiencing isn't right okay 
like I knew that things going on in my family weren't right. So I sought out the, the parents of my friends to hang out with. And uh, one of my high school football coaches was like a, a, a father to me and still is to this day. Uh, and so I saw I sought out people to fill those gaps because I had resilience. The people that don't have resilience get swallowed up by that. And they don't they don't have the wherewithal to say, yeah, this this just isn't right. And I'm going to I'm going to find a way to to fill those needs that aren't getting met in other ways. And so they they might end up uh, in drugs or uh, being a bully or, you know, whatever that 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 even even as crazy as it was, I was blessed to be around a high school football and track coach, my high school superintendent, uh, kind of the director of everything at my high school, way back when, who taught us about character and integrity and empathy and respect and taking personal responsibility. And that was, that wasn't drilled into us. It was, it was like, it was modeled to us. Mm. And I'm really grateful to have had those people in my life. Not everybody has that, you know, people, some people grow up in families where, being a bigot or racist or whatever it is, is okay. And that's passed on to the next generation, unfortunately, without any mindfulness whatsoever. Hmm. I've never heard resilience uh, mentioned like that. That's a, that's a cool way of thinking about that. Mm -hmm. So can you help people who don't have that wherewithal, or do you have to kind of wait until something crashes or burns within them and they seek, seek help at that point? I think, my gut reaction to that is that um, we have to learn, learn how to develop resiliency by facing situations that require us to be resilient. Mm. You know, if everything's going smooth, it's kind of hard to develop resilience. Okay. That makes but sense. like during the pandemic, I made it a point. There was just certain things that I did during the pandemic. I probably put in a couple of thousand miles walking my dog during the pandemic. And I made it a point that I got out with her and breathed air and got sunshine, no matter if it was cold or hot or whatever. We, did, Lexi and I did that for two years. You know, we still, we walked last night still. And all I have to do is go put on my tennis shoes. And she's like, you know, she's ready. <laughs> she runs to the front door where we keep her leash and her harness and she's ready to go. And it's funny. Cause I say, let's go get the key. We keep a key to the house in the store. She runs to that drawer okay, let's go get a bag. She runs to that drawer and then runs to the front door. I mean, she knows, but that resilience, my discipline to doing that five, six days a week, three miles, five miles, six miles, whatever it was, it helped me get through that pandemic. Was was it hard doing that? Like starting the walks? No, because I'm a, I have, I have discipline, you know, I want to, yeah. I I'm good at creating structure in my life and sticking to it. Was it comfortable for you at first? Like, because discipline isn't always the most comfortable thing in the world. <clears throat> like I take cold showers every morning because I know they're good for me and it wakes me up and it's better than <laughs> caffeine, right? Just two minutes, right? I just crank it and I'm like, all right, see if yeah, I can. I haven't done that. I, I'm going to I'm gonna go a dare on myself and try. I do hot ones before I go to bed at night because it oh, really and I, I heard it cools, cools you down too, right? Because you sleep better when you're cold. So if you raise your temperature up, it will actually... I, I just know that I hit the bed. I don't have any trouble going to sleep at night. That's I might have to try that one. Cold, uh, cold in the morning, I'm, hot at I'm night. Water on the neck and just <laughs> yeah. And then I get in bed and I'm out. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, um, I, and I'm bringing it up because we were talking about emotions earlier. And every time I turn the shower on, every thought in my head's going, "Don't do this. This is gonna suck. <laughs> you just woke up. It's gonna be 
terrible. And I got that like, oh, this is going to be awful, you know, but I do it anyways, because I know, um, and I, I've, I like to think I have pretty good discipline too, that it's beneficial for me. And so when yeah. I do, I feel great when I'm done. And well, yeah, it's, yeah. But, but it is like, I need to, uh, I've had so many sports injuries and my body's starting to talk to me a lot and I need to get up every morning and stretch. Okay. But it hurts. Yeah. So I have to push through that resistance. So I'm getting in the groove with it now. I did it again this morning and I've been doing it the last few weeks, but I did physical therapy on this shoulder and it didn't really help, you know, cause the shoulder, it helped this shoulder, but this one's just fried. So there's just things I have to do now at my age to keep my body moving, to keep my energy level high. I just turned 65 April 18th, you know? And, and so I, I always say, I feel like I'm still 10 years old in my mind, but my body's starting to, <laughs> to tell me differently, but I've always had this youthful spirit in me. And I hope I have that when I'm 90 years old. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think you've got that for life. I think, I think you're right. I, I take pride <laughs> in that. I mean, I'm funny, you know, I do goofy things around my friends and family and, and I love that about myself and, and I'm sensitive. And so, but my point is I do have to take care of my body the older that I get. Yeah. I guess what I'm I'm wrestling with, and I don't know if if you have the answer either, but when, when do you listen to yourself um, when you need your bucket full and how, or how do you differentiate when you need your bucket full, that voice or that emotion or that feeling you have versus I need to do this other thing. And it's saying the opposite, but there's, it, is it the same thing talking to you? It's just masked by by garbage and resistance in front of you. It's just harder to listen to because it's behind the noise. Well, I don't. I don't. What if myself? And I don't. I don't should myself. Okay. So I don't think I get into that. I don't fall into that trap because, you know, like, you know, here's a list of things I needed to get done, and the last one is find out why Google won't change my address on my new office. <laughs> You know, yeah. but yeah. these are, these are things I have to get done and I don't shoot myself. So I discipline myself to, and when I get it done, I scratch it off the list. I keep a list on my phone. And so, but there might be days where I have that list, but no, I need a, I need a tank filling day. So I'm going to put that list off for a day or two. And today, like my birthday, I took my day off and all I did was scratch things off my list. And it was the day after we had moved my daughter to Dallas Tuesday. I was fried. And I regretted not taking a tank filling day off on Monday. So I learned the hard way. Got it. So it sounds like you have like level one, which is that the louder <laughs> voice, right? And then level two is let's try experiment and do some of these other things. And if it works, it should point to that level one. If it doesn't, maybe don't do any more of that. Well, I learned because it was yeah. that trip driving a U-Haul to Dallas from Houston was a bear. You know, the thing was loud. And, <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> and then unloading furniture and putting bed to get her bed together. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was, it was hard. <laughs> and I didn't give myself that, that reward day to go, okay, it's my birthday. I'm going to take Lexi for a walk. I'll take a nap. I'll, you know, meditate, whatever the things I needed to do. I didn't do yeah. I paid for it because Tuesday I was just fried. Huh. So I think I, it just I pushed through it. I didn't listen. I think it just clicked for me. Like uh, last time you were talking about the tank fillers and I was like, well, how do you know what's going to fill your tank? And you said, you just got to try a bunch of stuff. <laughs> right? I mean, really, maybe it's just that simple where, all right, I'm going to try this thing. This is my yeah. tank filling or emptying. All right. Do more of the filling and less of the emptying. I have a, a gymnast in Virginia that I talk to sometimes and, uh, 
in the background, she'll hang new artwork that she did. Hmm. She started rekindling her love of art as a way of filling her tank back up. And I, oh, wow, show me your new artwork. And she'll take her computer over there. And she's a beautiful, brilliant artist. And But that's what fills her tank up. That's awesome. Yeah. Huh. Uh, pursue their passions. So here, I mean, I think that has to do with tank filling also. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, one of my passions is music. And so I don't play music. I have a guitar. That's one of the things I need to start doing, even at my age, is taking guitar lessons because I absolutely love music. That's another thing that helped me get me through the pandemic was my love of music. You know, I'd stay up at night and watch YouTube concerts with some of my favorite groups, you know. So yeah. uh, uh, learning about EMDR, you know, I do this EMDR work and I've done so many trainings during the pandemic to sharpen my skills around EMDR. I've done it for 27 years and I use it with ACL injuries and dislocated elbows and pole vaulters that have broken poles and landed in the box. And so I have passion about helping injured athletes like that. So I learn and I learn and I learn. Um dogs you know yeah <laughs> if you ever see me anywhere and there's a dog i'm going to go introduce myself to that dog and it, it helps me connect with people though and when yeah. i connect with dogs and connect with people it fills my tank up so uh, they pursue their passion um i have here a benevolent circle of like-minded like-spirited others you know and and I have, I'm blessed to have people in my life that uh, we share the same kind of morals and values and characters and personal ethics and, and interest. Uh, and, and I've had to say goodbye to some people that, that we've just kind of, we don't vibrate on the same frequency anymore. I love them, but we just, that, that connection just isn't there anymore because, you know, we just grow in different, different ways or some people don't grow. Uh, so, uh, but it's important for me to have it. A, a, I call it a benevolent circle, meaning we energize each other. Yeah. We benefit from being each other's lives and uh, whether we're up or down, we're there for each other. Do you feel like those, your environment has to always be really close or, or does it help when, when they're within the same few miles or, you know, even state? Um, I had a great friend up in Boulder. I didn't see him very much. He passed away a year ago, but, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I know. Thank you. He was gosh, such a wonderful man, but, uh, you know, if there was something going on in the sport of gymnastics, I'd just pick up the phone and call him, you know, or he would call me at the, about this. It's like, we, <laughs> Oh, I'd be thinking about him. And did you hear about such and such? And we would talk about it. And, um, so no, uh, you know, I have, I have a good friend up in Virginia beach. So no, but there are those that are like, I have some neighbors that I that we hang out with and go for walks and we have uh, uh, some other friends. We, we hang out there. They have a, the world's best backyard. So we'll go sit out in the backyard <laughs> and hang out. And so, you know, I, I, I think one-on-one -on -one contact is certainly important. Yeah. I, I was just curious <laughs> because uh, my wife and I are always talking about our, our community, right? And um, where, where do we, I travel a lot. And so I, I try to bring her to a bunch of my camps with me. It's like, where do you feel most at home where are you the happiest where what feels the best where's where's our people and and uh we both are like our people are just spread out all over the united states right now which is which is great like we have a lot of these connections but 
man, when we can get all those people in the same room, it feels like there's a firework going off all the time. It's As you were saying, when you're surrounded by a bunch of like-minded people who have the same frequency, that frequency gets stronger, like a string of a well, guitar. That was, that was our Saturday when we had that graduation party for my daughter. It was, you know, th- that group of people for us. I think it was 26 people, and it was wonderful. We sat out by the backyard in the pool, and my my wife's uh, brother and her cousin's husband brought their electric guitars and amped up and did a little concert for us. And everybody there loves music and we had some good food and people paired up and talked and it was wonderful. And it started at two and it ended at 1030 at night. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, what else do I ever curious? I have uh, people with a high level of mental health are curious. You know, they ask questions. They want to, they will they ask a lot of open-ended questions of people, you know, who, what, when, where, why, how, and, and that helps them connect and learn and, and, and feed that curiosity. Uh, empathetic, I think is up there and, and empathetic is the ability to move to the other side of something and, and share someone's experience on an emotional level and, and have connection with them. And compassion is taking that empathy into action. You know, not only do I have empathy for you, but I'm going to, I'm going to do something to be of service and help you. And, uh, I think people that have a high level of mental health are, are empathetic and compassionate. <clears throat> um, again, I wish we had more of that these days. You know, more, I, more. I love em- that. Compassion is empathy in action. Yeah, I've never thought that's, of that. That's like my that. definition of it for whatever yeah. it's worth. I love that. <laughs> write that down (laughs) to start by uh and then i have they take personal responsibility you know we have a saying in my family that uh, and i've heard my kids say this out loud if it's happening now on some level i'm ready for it how can i grow from this experience and that tells Mm -hmm. me that no matter what it is they're taking personal responsibility and from that you know when they do that they grow we grow but taking personal responsibility is uh, we just don't see enough of that these days. There's a big time victim mentality in our society, yeah. uh, unfortunately, which inhibits personal growth. I love that like all of these overlap in so many ways. It almost seems like a, a big, I can't even think of what the chart would be called, but all those circles around and they're all overlapping. Yeah, I know so what you're talking about. Yeah. Maybe I should make one. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's... And I love this personal responsibility one because it seems to tap right into, um, well, kind of back into the mindfulness thing we were talking about again, where I I, I forgot where I read this, but it was like, uh, you can be aware of the moment, but if you don't accept it the way it is, then you're going to have a bad time. Essentially, that's what they were saying. And acceptance was just such a, I think they talk about that in AA and things a lot too, like accept where you are, accept the things you have. I've never been to AA, but I've, read a lot of stuff saying, yeah. yeah and just there's a power in accepting the situation that's in front of you right now and then as you said learning and and you're ready for it to, to kind of tackle it yeah um you know, taking responsibility is a good thing yeah <laughs> i said we i think we need more of it hmm. um too much shirking of responsibility too much victim mindset uh you know, it's it's become so easy for people to say hurtful things just by tapping on a couple of keys and not not taking responsibility for the impact that it might have on the person that's the target of that. Um, 
social media bullying, if you want to call it that. It's so easy for people to do that now. You know, it's like my block. I'm not on Facebook much anymore because I just got tired of it. But yeah. my block list of people is about that long. You know, where <laughs> people yeah. just said snooty things. I was like, uh-uh, done, done, done. And uh, I started getting into that crap too much. And I, so I just I just got out of it. Yeah, I feel like that's the biggest hole I've dug myself uh, for what I yeah, do. I hated you know? it. I hated I, it. I wish I, I could it. turn it off, but <clears throat> yeah. yeah, people. I'm trying to use. just use it to share good news about something that happens in life, or uh, if, if I take a beautiful sunset, you know, put that on there. But I've, I've tried to stay away from all the. What's yeah, going on, it gets know? hard. I've, I've for for my situation, it's been kind of great because it. I have this 10 year pole vault community that's kind of built up. And at first there was a lot of that, like, and I felt like I had to defend myself all the time or mm -hmm. uh, I was misrepresented or something. And then now I'm almost at a point where so many, a lot of people have seen my stuff for so long. They go, Oh, we know what he's trying to say, or we know his intentions or we, we kind of know. Yeah. Him. And then if somebody does come in, I don't have to say anything. They're like, Oh no, the community has been so great. They're just like, Oh no, this is what he meant. I hope this helps. And this makes sense. And then it's, feels like a healthy, <laughs> healthy place on social media. Well, they it's transition good. them into the circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't have to do that, which conserves your energy. And right. then you get to get, keep being productive. Yeah, it's it's been great. Um, this is a hell of a list. Like this is, <laughs> I, I got to thank you for, for doing this. Um, well, you sent so, me, a, what, last week you sent me that question and I've just been kind of chewing on it since then. And I sat down this morning, okay, what did I come up with? And I just... I wrote it all out and at least that's for me that's you know that's my reality about mental health yeah well i should i should ask just a ton of people that question and see where where the overlap is with with that too mm -hmm. that would probably be a fascinating thing to do because yeah i mean at the at the core of it if we have even a few of these things our mental health is going to be better you know and start with one <laughs> see but i at. think i do think you're right i think mindfulness is the common thread to all of them yeah I agree. I think I wrote that in the email too. It was self-awareness and, and uh -huh. that to me, that's mindfulness. You know, you have to just be aware of what's happening in your internal and external world, I guess, so you can make decisions and mm -hmm. change some things. Yep. Cool. Um, do you want to answer some of these questions? Some of these Absolutely. Kids All right. I think there's, there's only a few of them because there's a lot of uh, similarities between a lot of these questions. So okay. if, if there's too many overlap, let mm -hmm. me know. But the first one was uh, from Katie. She goes, uh, this is a, from a, from a mom. She goes, "How do I get my 14 year old to mentally push through disappointments, such as a miss during a meet or not having the best meet?" How to push through disappointment of not having a good meet or the best meet? Yeah, or or even at a miss at a bar, and there's just pure disappointment. Well, that's being reactive. You know, we talked about mentally mentally healthy people are not reactive. Um, so we talk a lot about if you want to be a peak performer, you have to learn how to, to be mindful of when you're wasting energy and losing energy and missing a bar and getting reactive is a serious waste of energy. And, you know, I work with a lot of pole vaulters who say by the end of the competition, they recognize that I can see, I can see the toll being taken on my competition. And, and I know that at the end, that the higher heights, I'm going to have more energy than everybody else. Cause I'm not reacting to everything. Like I watched Olympic trials, women's Olympic trials in pole vault. Cause I had a, a pole vaulter in there and uh, 
I could tell who was going to miss just by their body language and their facial expression on the runway. And I kept watching my, my young, my woman that I worked with and boom, you know, she, she was, she was working it, you know, and she was conserving energy. And uh, when she cleared her qualifying height, there's this scream and, you know, it was just beautiful to watch, but I could methodically tell who was going to miss out. So uh, to answer the question, talk to your 14 year old about, Quit being so reactive about things and mentally get ready for the next jump. Because all, all that disruption, all the antics, the anger, the frustration, it blocks learning. You know, and if you block learning, you can't sit back and go, well, I hesitated on my last two steps or I didn't do this or my left elbow collapsed or you block learning because you're so angry and frustrated. So quit being reactive and learn. That, are, there, that's, are there some ways to train or practice being less reactive? Yeah, well, it goes back to Viktor Frankl's S plus R equals O, stimulus plus response equals outcome. He was a Holocaust survivor. Great book. I love it. And he, man search for meaning. There you go. And he was so reactive to everything. And he trained himself that whenever he began to get reactive, he would take a breath. And in that, his Mm. quote says, between stimulus and response, there's a short space of time. <clears throat> in that short space of time lies our ability to make choices. Those choice, those choices determine our growth and our happiness. Well, he created that short space of time by taking a breath. And if everybody would do that, when you find yourself starting to get reactive, stop and breathe into the count of four, exhale to the count of five, and then respond, don't react. I love that. And you it- can train that. You can train that. A 14-year-old can train that. So step one is being aware you're being reactive or that the emotion's going on. And, step or, two and, and when I work with athletes, and we around. talked about this last podcast, Sean, was what are the warning signs you're starting to get reactive to things? There you go. Okay. You know, I bite my nails. I it, My chest gets tight. I get anxious. I get frustrated. I, get, I want to blame somebody. Back out of that. Create a breath. Create that space of time. Recenter yourself. And you can train, anybody can train us if they want to, but it's about wanting to. It's easy to react. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the easy way. Yeah. But, but the peak performers that are reaching their goals are the ones that, that, that integrate this concept. Okay, I missed twice. Now I've got to make this third height. I've got to recenter myself. <clears throat> i got to get back into balance again. i got to focus my energy down the runway again. Okay, cleared the third height. The ones that are crying, like, you know, I've seen gymnasts on the beam crying and it's like, you know, they're going to fall. <laughs> There's tears on the beam. But because they haven't trained themselves to not be so reactive. Yeah. <clears throat> now, sometimes there are situations where, you know, if a coach or a parent's screaming and yelling at you and like I talked to a, a high school football player who said he could hear his dad on the fence yelling at the coach to pull him out because he's a loser. Well, that's hard. You know, when you have a coach or parent screaming at you or yelling at you or degrading you, it's hard not to be reactive to that. I respect that. Yeah. That's and somebody somebody needs to go grab that dad and go, let's let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sir, you're being reactive. Let's do some breathing lessons here. <laughs> I did that once. I was going to a, a 
I was going to a graduation and I was, it was over at the University of Houston. It was a high school graduation and some friends. And I heard this screaming. I was walking from my car, dropped my wife and kids off, went and parked. And I heard this screaming. And this lady had her son in the back of the car just wailing on him. And I said, hey, you need some help? And she it snapped her out of it. And I said, are you okay? And, and I said, let's just sit here and breathe together for a minute. And she took a few breaths and I said, you okay? And he I said, let's walk in together. So we all walked in together. I interrupted the pattern, hmm. you know, now someday I might get jumped or shot or something if I do that, but <laughs> that, you know, that my, was intentions, my intentions are to interrupt the pattern and teach them how to be responsive instead of reactive. It's I'm not trying to be mean or wicked. I'm trying to keep this kid from getting abused, you know? Man, that, that parent was lucky you were there. You know, you could have Well, I, I agree. And that kid was lucky you were there. Um, that brilliant answer, man. I, this is, I'm, I'm so jacked you brought up Victor Frankel in that book because I read it once a year because it was pretty life changing. Hard read, isn't it? It's a tough read, but it's so fascinating just <sighs> who he was and how he had the wherewithal to pay attention to that entire thing. It was, it's great. Um, yeah. Want to do another one? Yep. Sure. <laughs> right. So this is from Aiden. He says, so when vaulting, I always get this doubt that starts to enter my mind once I see the bar or go out or go to a height that I've never cleared. One time the bar was put up and without me knowing what the height was and I made it first attempt. So I know it's a mental thing. How do I mentally prepare myself for when those new bar heights are up? Um, that gets back to reactivity. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are the subtle and even the obvious things that begin to change for him physically, mentally, emotionally, and in his body that let him know that he's beginning to react to a higher height and then learn how to, how, how to, how to calm the storm is the metaphor that I use, you know, and, and I always say in nature, and this is the metaphor I use with the athletes I work with. I've got this beautiful view of this magnificent tree here. And I, and I say, if we're looking out here, and a storm starts blowing in. How does nature let us know a storm's coming? Well, the sky gets dark, the wind picks up, clouds start moving in, the, the tree blows, uh, the temperature drops, we might hear thunder in the distance. And what would we do? Well, we'd go inside. Yeah, you change something. So for an athlete, Aiden, when his warning signs start kicking up, he doesn't change anything. He just goes and tries to pole vault in the storm instead of, Okay, I'm going to back away and I'm three or four jumpers out on this one. So I'm going to use that time to breathe and melt that tension in my body away and calm my reactivity to where it's time for me to get on the runway. I'm back in that centered place. I've calmed that internal storm and now I'll go make that hype. So can you do that a couple different ways? So through breathing, that'd be like a physical way to bring the emotion in this and change the storm, right? Can you change your perception on what's happening too? And your thoughts can change like your physical reactions. I know this is taking a page out of like cognitive behavioral therapy a little bit, but well, just curious. you can, and you know, that's why I hand out these mind of a champion wristbands to athletes I work with. And I don't know if we talked about this, but I'll have them, uh, you know, I'll never, I can't, I suck, I'm terrible. You know, they have to take that wristband off like this and then put it on the other wrist and then correct the negative thought and leave it on that wrist. And then when they have mm -hmm. another one, they have to take it off and put it back on that wrist and correct that negative thought into a positive thought. And they have to do that for 21 days. And at the end of 21 days, they profoundly change their mindset. But what are we talking about? Mindfulness. 
You're right. <laughs> there it is again, becoming aware of what you're doing with your mind. I always tell athletes that struggle mentally. I said, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is you have a really strong mind. The bad news is you're using it <laughs> the wrong way. Let's teach you how to use it the right way. Yeah. So Aiden has a strong mind. He's just using it the wrong way. Oh man. I love that. I used to, I used to explain that to, to people. Um, I don't know if you watch the X-Men or have ever seen any of those superhero movies, oh, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, there's that scene where Cyclops went to the school for the first time and he was burning down all the trees and smashing <laughs> the, the, the school and just blowing everything up. And then he put on the glasses. He learned how to control his power. Yeah. And that's where he became, he's dangerous when he didn't know how to control it, but he was. Yeah, that's true for all of us, isn't it? Yeah, and so I started looking at depression and anxiety that way. Like, well, I because it it really makes me go internal a lot, or maybe I've always done that. And I was just using it the wrong way to kind of beat myself up. But when I could focus it on something else, it was like, oh, I don't have to burn my school down anymore. I can I can fight crime. <laughs> I like. I have to go back and find that scene, but I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what's going on. When you can harness that energy and that power, great things happen, and the body always goes. Thank you. I've been working so hard physically. Now you're going to allow me to do what I'm capable of doing here. Yeah. Okay. So we got react reactivity for the first one, reactivity and mindfulness for that second one. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious if we're going to, how many of these nine we're going to get. All right. Ready for number three. Yep. Okay. So we have, what are ways to slow down your thoughts while faced with fear on or off the runway? How do you slow down your thoughts? Do you want to? So evidently their thoughts are racing then. That's how I interpreted it too. Um, and then I was like, or is it just fear and they're not aware if they're racing or if they're well, racing is overthinking. Overthinking, right? Yeah. I agree with that because a lot of athletes overthink. So first, let's, let's look at my definition of overthinking. Overthinking means you no longer trust your innate talent and training. And if you did trust your innate talent and training, you would just totally rely on that and then go execute the jump. When you begin to overthink, it means that you've abandoned how many years of training and how much experience and knowledge you have about pole vaulting. And now you're just trying to rely on thinking to get it done, which sabotages the bodies. I know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? it? Is, yeah, I never thought of it like that either. But that's exactly what's going on. I no longer trust all those years of training, my strength, my conditioning, my technique my run, my core strength, my ability to transition energy from the, the, my body to the pole, from the pole back to my body. I don't trust that, so I've got to overthink it. So you entertain that concept, first of all, that you're sabotaging all those years of work. Um, and then as far as slowing down or overthinking, I think we talked about this last time, uh, that eye triangle exercise. Yep. Okay. And that's look up and think about the thought, look down and to the left, listen to a sound around you, look down and to the right, feel a feeling in your body. It won't give immediate results, but over time, the mind just starts quieting down. I could wake up at four o'clock in the morning thinking about all the things I need to do on that list, right? Mind's racing. I'll take four or five breaths into the count of four, exhale to the count of five. I'll do four or five eye triangles. And then I'll start counting backwards from 21 to zero, 21, 20, 19. Every time an intrusive thought enters my mind, I start over again. 
And what I've been able to train myself to do is I can get to zero in two or three tries and I go right back to sleep. Hmm. Now, a pole vaulter, I don't accept uh, the clock's ticking. I don't accept, expect them to go, wait a minute, I got to count backwards from 21 to zero. But you can train yourself to take a couple of deep breaths. Three, two, one, ready to go. You can train yourself to do that. But you have to work with this in practice. You have to work with this taking tests. You have to work with this giving presentations in front of your class, interviews with college coaches, driving to practice in your late. The more places you can recenter yourself and calm yourself down when you're amped up, the easier it's going to be for you to do on the runway. These are all just gold, man. You should write another book, I think. <laughs> well, maybe when I, when I have time, I will. Yeah. I've got a couple of books in me. I, I do I want to write, but it's just, it's a process. You know oh, what it is. Yeah, I know. I, I, uh, I keep getting pushed to write another pole vault book. And then um, I have this one in my head about these conversations I'm having with people like you and going, okay, here's what I learned from Robert Andrews. And here's his, all of his links and, you know, kind of writing a book through that process. Um yeah, but it's it's hard. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if people know what goes into writing a book. Um, a lot. This, this is the last one we got here. Um, how do you deal with missing the team atmosphere after sports after you stop competing? Well, that's a that's a really good question. That that transitional period is brutal. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing that pops into my mind is like anything else. When there's loss, there's a grieving process. You know, and, and I, we, we went through that with our kids where uh, my son played college baseball, thought he was going to get drafted, and he didn't. And then he thought he's going to get to go to Australia and play, and that didn't work out. Then he thought he's going to get go play in Holland, and that didn't work out. So he went and played in Western Canada for his that summer after he graduated from uh, from college. And he came home in August, and baseball was over. And then my daughter decided that she didn't want to play uh, college volleyball. So her high school season ended in October. So we went August, October, boom, boom, because she didn't play her 18 season in club ball her senior year of high school. And that, that next spring, when it was time to get on the road and go to baseball tournaments and volleyball tournaments, I was depressed. I was so sad. I missed the ritual of gearing up and, you know, stopping at a little place on the way to, to, to his games or her, her tournaments and getting something to eat and being around the parents. So it's hard on parents. It's hard on the family. It's hard on the kids. So first of all, allow yourself to grieve the loss and grieve is like a thumbprint. You know, it looks different for different people. It's not about, you know, being on the couch with a box of Kleenex crying all the time. It might be, but it might be that you're mad one day that you're not playing anymore or frustrated or anxious or whatever. So honor the process of grief around it being over one. Don't just stop working out as another because your body's so used to producing the right kind of chemicals that help with food and stabilizing your personality and things like that. So don't just stop, keep training, keep working out, uh, maybe find another sport to transition into. You know, I, I've had three knee surgeries and a knee replacement surgery. So uh, after my knee replacement surgery, I got to where I couldn't play tennis. I couldn't play basketball. So I took up biking and I would do these MS-150 bike rides where I'd ride 100 miles one day and 80 miles the next to Austin, Texas to raise money for to fight multiple sclerosis. And that was a passionate thing for me for a few years. Yeah. You know, so find something to channel that passion into. 
transition into another sport, you know, volunteer at the dog shelter, if that's what it is for you, but find things, activities to channel that passion into, um, you know, my son, he coaches a 15, 16 year old baseball team now in the summers and he loves it. He's given back to the game. Uh, he's done some pitching lessons. He was a pitcher. So he's, he'll get a call. Can you help so-and-so with their pitching? And he'll go out and do that. And it just keeps him connected to the game in some way. Uh, he played on a, a league for a while. It was a bunch of, uh, former college baseball players that have a, an adult league and he, he would go out and pitch a couple of innings and that just loved it. So, you know, find ways to stay connected to the sport coach, you know, whatever that might be, but you've got, I think the most important thing is you have to find a channel for that passion. Hmm. Otherwise it's, it's going to lead to all kinds of problems. With working with professional athletes, have you found it hard for them to um, try and do another sport where they're not at the top of it anymore, or they can't compete at a high level because you're essentially starting over in a way, you know, if you're trying yeah. to do a new uh, thing. Yeah. Like, like how is a, an NBA player going to go find, you know, something <laughs> where, well, it's, it's more complicated than that. I mean, they're pretty much isolated from the real world in a lot of ways. Cause I've worked with NBA teams and NFL teams and, uh, you know, they're escorted into the arena and there's gates between them and the fans when they walk in or they, they get there early before everybody else and park their cars underground in the stadium and, and leave the same way. And they're sheltered from everybody. So to have to learn how to come out of that and <clears throat> interact and, and, and live in a quote, a real world, so to speak, is, is hard on top of letting go of their identity and the bigger name they are, the bigger that identity. Right. Right. Yeah. So learning how to, uh, who was it? Deion Sanders. Remember that he was neat. He was prime time. Remember he was used. Yeah. Do I had a starters Cowboys Jersey because of her jacket. Yeah. <laughs> he was, of he Sanders. was prime time. And he said he yeah. took on the persona of prime time. And eventually it got to the point where it concerned, it consumed his personality and he became seriously depressed and he had to, he had to back out of that and say, who is Dion? You know, I got to get back to being Dion again and not prime time. And so, so uh, it's back to that mindfulness part, a mindfulness, bit, right? but also living authentically right? and finding out absent of the identity or the persona or the fame or the, or whatever it is that goes with being that athlete, you know, who am I? Yeah. You know, uh, I had a, a guy, I have a Beijing Olympic flag right up here in front of me. And one of the guys that was on that team, they did a fluff piece on NBC during the Olympics. And he said that what he found was he was so identified by being a gymnast and being a, an Olympic gymnast that he had to step away from that and figure out that I'm a good person, whether I'm a gymnast or not. I'm a good person, whether I make an Olympic team or not. I have value. I have something to offer the world. If I, I have a link to it, I'll send it to you. So it's just a okay. beautiful piece. And you'll hear a lot of the language of what you and I are talking about today in this NBC piece, because I worked with him for a little over a year before the Beijing Olympics. And you'll hear a lot of what we're talking about in our, our, our conversation today in that fluff piece that NBC did way back in 08. That's, that's awesome. But that was his work was who am I yeah. absent of, of being an Olympic gymnast? But that's got, I feel like every athlete has to have that question or get to that point, right? Like I know I did where I was like, oh, pole vault's just something I do. It's not who I am. And that was 
like a light bulb switch in my head. Like, oh, I, I can... And now look at you being of service and helping people, you know? Yeah. I, could, I mean, at the time I was like, who am I if I'm not pole vaulting? And so that made the breakup with pole vault really hard, like extra hard because your identity is wrapped into it too. And, but I'm, I'm always trying to be very cautious of not getting back there. I don't want to be the mental health guy either, or the team who well, I just want to be Sean. Who does these that, other things. That, that balanced life that we yeah. talked about. You know, but, you know, I always say every athlete retires someday, whether it's you just run out of gas and there's nothing left in the sport or you suffer a career ending injury or you don't get drafted or, you know, whatever it is, every athlete's going to retire someday. Yeah. Unless you're Tom Brady. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not human. I don't think <laughs> he was dropped here by some aliens, I think. Yeah. But then, but then, you know, like I work with, I work with a gymnast that becomes a diver or a diver that becomes an equestrian rider, you know, and, and I have athletes that like, I work with equestrian riders in their, their fifties and sixties who have passion and love for horses. Well, what were your sports when you were, or I played tennis when I was younger, hmm. you know, not everybody can afford a horse like that. I'm not saying that it's a very, very expensive sport, but I went out a couple of weeks ago. There's this beautiful facility out in Katy, Texas, west of Houston. And I spent the whole day out there working with equestrian riders. There's a group that asked me to come out there. I had so much fun. Those horses were just so magnificent and beautiful. And, and when I was leaving, I said bye to everybody. We had a great day. I was leaving. This lady comes walking by with her horse. I go, what a beautiful horse. And the horse just stops and puts its head in my chest. And she said, you shouldn't have said that. She just <laughs> loves humans, you know, and I'm petting this horse behind the ears. It was just such a great day. But everybody out there has a passion and love for for, for horses. Yeah. It was cool. It was really cool. Huh. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I, 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 have a, I have empathy for a lot of these athletes because sometimes I don't know if they know that it's going to end. That That's kind of the, especially college. I see a lot of those kids go their senior year. When I was a coach at NDSU, all of a sudden it hit them like a ton of bricks. Like, wait, what? Well, it's you got to start preparing for. Well, an injury is like. Well, like, that's worse. Yeah, way that's worse. That's worse. You you blow your knee out. You know you, you know severe compound fracture of your knee or something like that or your leg. But but like I did, uh, I used to do these transition forms for Navy SEALs that were getting ready to retire from the military, and and we would start two years out two years out from retirement to help them start mentally wrapping their mind around what it's going to be like and what it's going to take. And, uh, yeah, two years. Do you think there should be something like that for athletes too? Or is it, or is it not as big of a problem? Do you think? Well, there's, I know I, I used to do it for Rice university here in Houston. Some, okay. uh, then I think it, they, it phased out with me. They might still be doing it with someone else. Uh, yeah, I think there should be because otherwise you just, Boom. Like in 2012, was it 2012? I noticed, or 16, 2012, I noticed that like when a gymnast didn't make, they would call all the gymnasts into a room and then make an announcement about who made the team. And then, and then you two are the alternates. Okay. Thank you, everybody else. And those athletes would walk out of the room, just devastated. Yeah. You know, and some of them would call me from their hotel room crying. And I was like, so I, I put this system in place where I had former gymnasts and coaches waiting outside the door 
And when those that didn't make the team came out, they had a support system and they would sit there and talk to them for 45 minutes for an hour. Let's go for a walk. And they would walk around Philadelphia or wherever it was and just process it immediately. And that made such a difference for these gymnasts. I'm so pumped you did that. I I I just haven't heard of any systems like that at all. So the fact well, that I don't, there's just I don't one know exists. that they do it anymore, but uh, they sh- I just saw the need and I suggested that and we did it and it, it sure made a difference. Yeah, well, it's it's almost May, <laughs> so so I'm starting to get all those emails from these seniors in high school going, I didn't jump in high enough to go to college. Uh, what 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 do I do? I don't want to stop. And you can. I can feel their pain. You know? Can I share a short? Do we have time for a short story? Yeah, of that? course. I'm on. I'm on your time. My son uh, decided he didn't want to play college baseball. Right. Yep. He had some small school offers. He wanted to go to a big school. <clears throat> um, I took him to LSU. What we walked the campus. He was going to study kinesiology and psychology. Fell in love with the campus. Started school. Joined a fraternity. Having a blast. You know. Spring semester is freshman year. He goes to an LSU baseball game and he calls me that that night. He goes, I think I could play here. I said, okay, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I'm going to start working out and start throwing again. He put on 30 pounds of muscle, got his velocity up to 90, 91, walks on at LSU. They said, we like you, but we don't have any room for you. We just brought in all these freshman pitchers. Would you go to junior college for two years and then maybe come back? And he was like, there's no guarantee you're going to have me back. I like it here. You know, I I love my culture here, so I'm going to stay here. And lo and behold, they started a club baseball team. So he goes out, and he's their starting pitcher, leadoff hitter, shortstop, and and he's playing. And these umpires are saying, you know, why aren't you playing somewhere? So he calls me again one night, and he's crying. He goes, I want to come back to Texas and play baseball. I said, when do you pitch again? Friday night. I drive over to Baton Rouge. I I videoed he threw a seven-inning one-hitter with 12 strikeouts. I edited that down. We shopped it around to A&M, University of Houston. And Lamar University here in in Texas came out to see him at a a, a summer game he was playing. Coach walks over and goes, I like him. Send me his transcripts. He went there. He ended up being a team captain, got almost a full scholarship his last two years. And so sometimes you just have to fight your way back. Yeah. And if you have a passion for pole vaulting, let go of all that stress and have to and pressure and what if, and just get fall back in love with it again and train somewhere. And if, when you get good enough, go walk on at your college. My son did it. Wow. Well, I'm happy. I'm giving people the right advice. I, I sent him a club list of all the clubs in the United States and go mm-hmm. find one of these and, and you can, whether you, you jump in college or you jump at this club, you can, you can jump the rest you of your life. Jump. Yeah. Like, you know, Bubba Sparks, obviously. Bubba Sparks. Us. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, one, he's one of those that never retires. <laughs> no, it isn't crazy. And then he, man, when he sends me messages and goes, you're not going to believe this new training thing I just came up with. And he's hanging upside down by one arm, you know, yeah. trying to. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's relentless, man. He's something else. Yeah, so awesome, man. I, I can't thank you enough for having this conversation with me. Is, is there any, I really do the same shot. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. I really hope you found something useful in there. I know I know I did. To get a hold of Robert, head over to the Institute of Sports Performance. Uh, it's The website is tinsp.com. At the very least, grab a copy of The Champion's Mental Edge. It should be in everybody's toolbox. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, as always, if you need any help, uh, mental health wise, we have a list of resources over at owlmh, O-W-L-M-H.com. 
that um, will help point you in the right direction. I hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. And remember, life's meant to be experienced and curiosity will get you there. See you in the next one.